Hello, and welcome to the U.S. Center for Safe Sports podcast series, Champion in Every Corner. At the center, we are dedicated to making athlete well-being and safety the centerpiece of sport culture. Our podcasts connect individuals to important conversations on getting the best and safest experience out of sports. Get ready to learn valuable information, shareable tips, and helpful resources to keep you engaged in the game. One important note, information about or reasonable suspicion of child abuse, including child sexual abuse, must be immediately reported to law enforcement and the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, and individuals must comply with any other applicable state or federal laws. Today, we will be discussing the new federal law, Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act of 2020. Our guests today are Ryan Leips, Senior Legal Counsel, and Katie Hanna, Vice President, Education and Public Policy at the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Ryan, thank you for joining us today. To kick us off, the Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act of 2020 was recently signed into law. How does this law expand the reach of the center and continue to support what we already do? Thanks for having me on, Vanessa. To start, the, the Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act of 2020 uh, is really a critical step for protecting uh, athletes within Olympic and Paralympic sports. Um, it, it expands uh, protections for athletes at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee level, at the national governing body of sports level, and, and with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Specifically for the work that we do here at uh, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, um, there are several things within this legislation that uh, is critical for us. Um, one thing is that the bill gives us a steady stream of, of funding so that we can uh, plan for uh, and develop um, our work in both education, in our audit and compliance of national governing bodies, uh, and in our investigations and response and resolution process. Uh, part of the bill requires that we expand our educational offerings um, to include courses geared uh, towards things like healthcare professionals and, and athletes with disabilities. So uh, it increases our educational offerings to help uh, prevent abuse in sport. Uh, and it expands our uh, audit and compliance department. It, it, it gives them more tools uh, to help do the critical work that they do in making sure that uh, the sport governing bodies, including the, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, uh, are implementing policies that will help prevent abuse, uh, especially among minor athletes, uh, before it even starts. Does this law change anything about the center's oversight authority? It does. That's where uh, expanding our audit compliance uh, really expands our oversight authority uh, among the uh, among the sport governing bodies. And it makes clear that uh, the audits that the center is doing of these national governing bodies um, are, are important pieces to, to, the, to the issues that we're working on. And it adds in some enforcement mechanisms uh, to help sports governing bodies uh, implement fully all of the proactive measures uh, that are needed to, to protect athletes in sports. Uh, along with our oversight authority, uh, there's crucial pieces in here that uh, 
make clear that any interference by a national governing body or the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee is inappropriate in the center's investigations. Uh, and in addition to, to codifying that in legislation, it adds congressional oversight to that piece so that if there is any interference uh, in any of the center's investigations by a sport governing body, uh, it has to be reported to Congress. How does this law change how the center interacts with outside groups like law enforcement and the USOPC? One of the, the things that the Empowering Olympic Act does um, is it strengthens the center's independence from outside groups, while at the same time um, adding additional tools so that we are working collaboratively with law enforcement, so that we are working with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to best protect athletes. Uh, let me give you a, a couple of examples. Uh, to start with law enforcement, uh, one of the things that the law says is that when we get a report of uh, abuse, that we have to uh, hold for 72 hours so that uh, we can work with law enforcement to make sure uh, that uh, if there's a law enforcement investigation, um, that we can work together and, and not be intruding on each other's investigations. Fortunately, that was something we already did. Uh, the center frequently cooperated with law enforcement and worked with law enforcement on cases that had both uh, jurisdiction under the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, as well as implicated potential criminal violations. Uh, but the law makes clear that we have to continue working with law enforcement in that manner. It also makes clear that the center and its staff are mandatory reporters. Again, that's something we were already doing. Uh, if we got a report that a, a minor athlete was abused, uh, our policy was that we were mandatory reporters and we reported it. This makes clear at a federal level that the center and its staff are required to do just that. With the USOPC, again, the law strengthens that independence piece, that interference, uh, that, that there should be no interference. Uh, it strengthens the confidentiality piece and it makes clear that our work product is confidential. Uh, and can't be shared even with a sport governing body or the USOPC unless explicitly allowed. Uh, it adds to our conflicts of interest uh, policy and, and clarifies that uh, across the entire Olympic and Paralympic movement, that conflicts of interest uh, are very important and puts that into federal law. Uh, and finally, it, it shows that there are parts where we're gonna be working with the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee and the audit and compliance piece that I already touched on is one example of that. So uh, the, the audit and compliance uh, piece says that Safe Sports responsible for uh, conducting these audits and issuing corrective actions. Uh, but it makes clear that we're going to work with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee uh, to enforce those corrective measures if a national governing body has decided that they're not going to comply. So in that regard, uh, it does uh, allow us to work with the, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to, um, to make sure that, that all the sport governing bodies in the Olympic and Paralympic movement are complying with all of these important protections we have in place. So now can you explain for our listeners how the important legal provisions in this new law impact the response and resolution process? Sure. The, the law touches on our response and resolution process in a, in a few different ways. Um, for example, 
the law makes clear that the preponderance of the evidence standard, which is what we use in our investigations and uh, our arbitrations for the response and resolution uh, office, it makes clear that that's an appropriate standard and that's the standard that can be used. Uh, it also adds an evidentiary rule uh, about the use of, of prior sexual history of claimants in our process. Uh, that's very similar to uh, an evidentiary rule that's in federal law. Now, this was something that our safe sport code already contemplated. So this is less of a, a functional change for us and more of a change in wording. So our code now aligns uh, more with the language of the federal law. The last piece is it adds certain due process protections uh, within the legislation uh, for, for respondents, those that are going through our process because they have been accused of violating the safe sport code. That part of the law uh, requires a few things. It requires written notice of the allegations. It requires uh, that we, we provide an opportunity to be heard during the investigation, that we allow uh, a respondent to be represented by an attorney or an advisor, that we provide a written reason decision about our findings and that we allow respondents to challenge uh, our findings if we issue a, a sanction uh, at a hearing or arbitration. Now, for those familiar with our process, those types of rights were already incorporated into the Safe Sport Code. Uh, so this law doesn't change much as far as, uh, as what respondents are allowed to do during our process. What it does do is make it clear that uh, this is not only in our safe sport code, but now codified in federal law. Does this law change the center's investigations process? For people going through our investigations process, either as a, a claimant, respondent, or, or witness, uh, they're going to see very little change uh, as far as what they would have experienced before this law passed. Um, as I said, many of the due process protections were, were things that were already uh, put into our safe sport code to, to protect the rights of respondents in our, uh, in our investigatory process. I, another part of that is that we will continue to work with law enforcement. That's now codified in the law, but that was something we were doing as well, working with law enforcement uh, and, and working with them as far as the timing of our investigations if law enforcement was actively investigating a case. So, so while the law does have a lot of provisions that touch on our response and resolution process, for most people going through our process, they're not gonna notice a difference uh, than they would have prior to this law. Lastly, what does this law mean for other organizations, including the sport national governing bodies and the USOPC? This law does a lot. It makes changes not only to the to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, but to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, uh, to the sport governing bodies, to the uh, Ombudsman's Office at the U.S. Uh, Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Uh, so it, it means a lot to to a very large group of organizations and individuals involved in those organizations. And I can't touch on them all probably in the time that we have in this this podcast, but a few of the big themes that we see in this legislation. Um, number one, it really strengthens athlete voice and athlete representation. Um, 
throughout uh, the Olympic and Paralympic movement, um, including on the board of directors and the athlete advisory councils uh, of the sport governing bodies and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Um, throughout the bill, you will see several uh, several times uh, provisions related to preventing retaliation. And that's a huge part of what the center does and, and the work that we do in our response and resolution office to prevent that type of retaliation. And it also puts a, a lot of, of duties on, on the, the governing bodies to prevent retaliation as well. Uh, it adds uh, a lot of protections for the ombudsman's office as a, as a confidential resource for athletes um, to, to talk to, to the folks that work at the ombudsman's office and to get the resources that they need. Um, it adds a duty of care to protect athletes uh, across the Olympic and Paralympic movement. Um, and it really puts a focus on athlete safety and preventing and responding appropriately to abuse within Olympic and Paralympic sports at every level um, from the, the sport governing body level to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to, to us, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. And so it's really a, a big step forward as far as, as making sure that the resources and making sure that the legislation is there in order for all of these groups to best meet the needs of athletes and to best protect athletes. Ryan, thank you for taking the time to speak to our listeners today and explain some of the legal aspects of this new law. Now, let's shift the conversation over to Katie Hanna to discuss the history of this law. Katie, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Can you please tell our listeners about your role at the center? Thanks for having me on the podcast, Vanessa. As the VP of Education and Public Policy, one of the areas I focus on is providing education to lawmakers and other government officials about abuse prevention in sport and the needs of athletes to create safer sport environments. Some of our listeners may be curious as to why we now have a second law. How does this bill strengthen athlete protection? So the first law, the Protecting Young Victims from Sexual Abuse and Safe Sport Authorization Act, in 2018 designated the center to serve as the independent national safe sport organization in the U.S. That really charged us with the responsibility for developing policies and procedures to prevent emotional, physical, and sexual abuse of amateur athletes. This law was a critical first step to standardize reforms in the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic movements. And the most recent law, the Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act of 2020, went into effect in October of 2020 and is a game changer for athletes. This law does many things to strengthen athlete protection. It establishes a duty of care, protecting amateur athletes from abuse. It increases protections from retaliation for reporting abuse or misconduct. It increases athlete representation on the boards of directors of both the national governing bodies, as well as the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And it requires that the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee pay the Center for Safe Sport $20 million annually, with at least 50% of those funds going to investigations and response. And finally, it creates a congressional commission comprised of at least 50% athletes to examine what is and isn't working within the system to report out those findings, conclusions, and make recommendations to Congress. So tell us how this bill came about. 
So after the first law went into effect in 2018, many athletes and champions in Congress continued their important work focused on athlete safety. Investigations were conducted in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, and investigation reports were released to the public. Then in July of 2019, Senators Moran and Blumenthal released their investigation findings and introduced the Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act. Athletes came forward to share their stories with policymakers. Those policymakers listened, and policy champions across the aisle came together to prevent abuse in sport. Through numerous meetings, committee hearings, and the markup process, the Senate passed this important bill, which then went over to the House for passage. Representatives Liu, DeGette, Brooks, Custer, Burgess, and Curtis also introduced companion legislation. And while I would be happy, Vanessa, to talk with you for days about what this legislative process entailed, what I do want to acknowledge today is the incredible work that happened behind the scenes from senators to representatives, their staff, but most importantly, the athletes who came forward to share their stories to get this bill to become a law. It was nothing less than extraordinary. And then on October 30th of 2020, this bill became a law. This law will forever be a game changer for athlete safety. We applaud the leadership and efforts of so many and the sustainable impact this new law has on creating safer sport environments. To wrap up our conversation today, how does this law continue to support the center's mission to make athlete well-being the centerpiece of our nation's sport culture through abuse prevention, education, and accountability? So this law is a game changer. It strengthens our independence, our funding, and our ongoing commitment to athletes. Our comprehensive abuse prevention program includes audit and compliance, response and resolution, and education and outreach. Through this law, we will respond to more reports of abuse, train more people to prevent it, and hold organizations accountable to ensure that our policies are followed all across the country to make sport safer for everyone. Katie, thank you for taking the time to discuss the history of the Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act of 2020. Both Ryan and Katie, thank you so much for your time and valuable insight. And for our listeners, if you know of or suspect abuse or misconduct, report it to uscenterforsafesport.org. You can report anywhere, anytime on our 24-7 portal. If you have confidential or anonymous questions and want support for yourself or someone else, contact the Safe Sport Helpline through the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at safesporthelpline.org. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.